Hello everyone, welcome to episode 804 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. This year we're chatting with the performers of the Cold Waves 8 Festival running Thursday, September 19th through Sunday the 22nd at Metro and Smart Bar in Chicago. Cold Waves aims to shake the pillars of heaven by collecting the bands, styles, sounds, and attitudes that beloved sound engineer and musician Jamie Duffy held dear and cement the sound of a Chicago institution alive and well. This year's performers include Popple Eat Itself, Nitzer Ebb, Test Department, Filter, Chemlab, How Job, Severed Heads, Pig, and many, many more. For the full lineup and ticket links, head to coldwaves.net. This week we're chatting with Sunday Metro performers Sean and Leo. This is Street Sex.
My name is Sean Ringsmooth. I compose the music for Street Sex. My name is Billy Lashburn. I do vocals for Street Sex. I wanted to start it off with your iconic album art. I can't think of too many bands besides maybe someone like KMFDM who have this consistent visual aesthetic where you can instantly recognize one of their album covers without even, you know, looking at the band name on there. The covers, they look straight out of some vertigo line graphic novel or something like that. Tell me about how you guys got that started and to to work on that throughout every release. Well, uh, from the beginning, you know, we wanted, you know, when we were conceptualizing the band and the project, uh, Sean and I had been in a number of projects together before, and I think that identifying aesthetic was something that the projects we were in before always lacked. And so we knew that whatever it was going to be, we wanted there to be a through line between all the elements, the visuals, the sound, the intent, the lyrics, and everything that kind of went together and kind of, um, you know, you can see see how it all connects. And, uh, you know, I knew that one of the things that we were going to be writing about and talking about was going to be more of an aggressive kind of, realism kind of crime kind of atmosphere and so there's a lot of like film noir influence and stuff in what we do and so we kind of messed around with a few different ideas and we toyed with the idea of doing the covers as photographs and then we tried having a painter do them and then we eventually settled on the first artist that we worked with this guy AJ who used to do the political cartoons for the Austin Chronicle the weekly here in Austin and then we started working with him and you know it just clicked he had that graphic novel kind of Raymond Pettibon style, like German expressionism, like really kind of stark black and white, which, which went with the film noir, went with everything that we were kind of thinking. So that's kind of, kind of, kind of how it came. You even do some of, some of your shirts while you're touring as limited editions that, that you don't do anywhere else. Is, is there any plan sometime in the future, maybe to collect these all together in some sort of, you know, bound collected edition for the fans? Yeah, definitely. We would love to do that. I mean, I mean, there's so many different pieces already, and I feel like if, uh, you know, barring any unforeseen horrible circumstances, you know, we keep going for another five or ten years, I mean, it's only going to be that much more, and it would be great to have, like, a great coffee table book or, or something with a, that collects all the art and maybe has a little bit of writing about each one and something along those lines. Yeah, I think that'd be a Yeah, that'd be, that'd be incredible. I, I kind of like it when certain prints go out of edition, though, like certain shirts or what have you, designs. And when I see somebody wearing them at a show, I know it's of like of a certain season. Tell me a little more about the Lizzie character. The first thing that we did was the gentrification series, or at least the first installments of that. In those images, she kind of represented culture or diversity or the things that were kind of being eradicated on some level during gentrification on, on those pieces of images. But other images, like she's kind of like, uh, she represents the voyeur or death itself or just kind of some sort of spectator while, um, you know, the people in the images find someone and do themselves or self-destruct. But like the mascot kind of element, that was, that wasn't really like the idea from the beginning. I don't think we sat down and said, let's have a mascot, but there was something about the image of Lizzie in those first five covers that we did. Um, three of which haven't been released yet. Open up. 3 a.m. and they're at your door. Your chest feels like it's collapsing. Go down in your uniform. One hand on your service weapon. They will tell you what you want. 
if you're Jason Nevig, it, it's a divisive one among people who listen to the band. Why, why divisive? I'm curious about that. I think it's the, the tinkling intro and, <laughs> and uh, I don't know, the uh, something about the, uh, the melody. Yeah, maybe it's like more straightforward melodic pop than some of the other stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know. Sean. Sean told me he was he was trying to channel like a like a classic Tom Petty song with that one. And although <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's what it sounds like. I think maybe that was a bit of a different influence than than the other it, It's so masked and buried that that whatever that that idea was the Tom Petty idea, but it it was it was alive while I was writing it. It just seems absurd to say now. Hi. <laughs> So you mentioned gentrification was going to be a five-part series, and you only released two parts for that. Was there a reason that that the other three aren't released? Yeah. uh, After we finished the second one, we did our first tour, and then we started talking to the Flenser, which is the label that we're currently signed to, and they wanted a full length. You know, they didn't. They weren't interested in putting out seven inches, you know, for for a band. You know, that was you know a new band like us, because I guess seven inches just don't sell as well. So we had to switch gears and work on a full length and we spent a good solid year working on that. And then the full length did, you know, did decently. And so then we followed up with an EP and then another full length and you know, one thing led to another. And then the gentrification thing just didn't, it just didn't get finished because like our production style and our songwriting style by that point had changed dramatically. So it was almost like it was kind of tough to go back and kind of pick up where we left off because it was supposed to be a serial album. So all five parts were, ultimately going to be one cohesive album. But we have gone back and started working on them, the last three installments, this year, and uh, they should all be finished by the end of the year. So you mentioned your sounds sort of evolving and changing a little bit. So tell me about what, what brought about that evolution. It just has different tones. I mean, we, we brought in more guitar, we brought in more melody into the instrumentation, turned up the vocals a little bit, there's more singing, less screaming, kind of churned out on some of those tracks. Not all of it, though. I'm actually surprised when I revisit certain moments in Rat Jacket, but we were trying to make those spastic parts moments rather than entire pieces mm-hmm. in the songs, if that makes sense. Was there any concern at all about fans not going along with you? It comes into play, and then it drifts away, especially during the writing process. I mean, you write something, and you get really excited about it. You tend to just bounce it off the people currently working on it. So mm-hmm. Leo and I bounce ideas back and forth and we kind of become isolated in that regard. And I think that's good for art, really. It's not so good to, to wonder if a thing should be repeated or if that one good thing that seemed to work should be done again. And I think trying to repeat it again probably would make it stale, unless, it, unless it's just that great. I, I don't know. We've always wanted to try new new ideas when it comes to songs. Try all different kinds of instrumentation, not just digital sounding music or harsh or screaming or any any one thing in particular. I mean, that's how we got to the imposition sound, whatever that was. We we had started an album, or what we thought we were making was an album, and then scratched it to, to start over. That first one for, for Flinzer that became imposition. It was something else for about four songs four to five and then we realized it was going you know in a direction we didn't we didn't like so we just kept putting it through the cycle i saw you guys have an annual tradition where you put out a limited christmas singles 
yeah. I, f- I feel like we live in an age where almost everything is available anytime, anywhere, always. And yet you guys have somehow made something that, that's fleeting. I even noticed on Reddit someone had to post a list of all the rare songs that aren't easily available. And I saw someone else commented, like, you're my hero. I didn't even know some of these things existed. So t- tell me about that idea, because I feel like that that's a unique thing that not many people are doing right now. I think the first time we did it was just because, you know, Sean and I, you know, we, we, you know, we live in Texas, but we live away from our family. So a lot of times we're, we're just here in Texas, like, kind of hanging out by ourselves and doing what we normally do just for the day off of work. And I think we were just bored and we had an extra song or something that didn't make it on a release or something. So we just decided to pop it up there for a day and just try it out. And people kind of reacted to it. So we just kept doing it. And, you know, it, and then we thought, when we, you know, when we noticed that people were trying to, like, collect them and, you know, they were bummed that they didn't get it. It's like, okay, well, that's, you know, like what you just described. There's something kind of nice and kind of nostalgic about that. Like, you know, not everybody can have everything right when they want it. Although they're, they're trying. I think I think somebody's uploaded most of that stuff to YouTube by now. You can only do is, you know, do what you can, you know, with that stuff.
Cold Waves was created in honor of someone who struggled with, you know, depression and alcohol addiction. And uh, these themes are, are prevalent in the songs that you guys work on. I feel like when, when I've talked to people about that, it can be a double-edged sword where for some people performing the music and getting this out it is really cathartic for them. But for other people, it, it only just makes them relive certain experiences that maybe they, they'd rather not think about. I feel like the catharsis has an ebb and flow. Like there's catharsis when we're, when we're making it. I mean, when I'm first making a sketch, I don't even know what's happening. You know, I'm kind of putting together, I'm starting from one place in the music and there's a lot to electronic music. You can start from bass, beats, a production, a sound, just anything really. And then, and, and, it, and then it has to bounce back and forth with Leo and, you know, we get like a lyrical theme in there. And there's a point where it's like, coming to completion and maybe we're expanding on it because certain, certain moments in it are intense or should be more intense. The listening to it over and over again in headphones or speakers or even when we're having practices for live performance, there, there can be moments of catharsis. And then again at the live show, but not every time for me. Anyway, I feel like it's every once in a while, like certain moments of the songs will come back and I'll, it's not like hearing them for the first time again because I, I at the end of writing a song the way we do, I don't, it's like going in and out of a thousand doors. I don't, I don't really, I don't really have a first moment because in, in the way that maybe a singer songwriter would, where it's like that moment I pulled out my tape recorder and did a first sketch on acoustic guitar. It just, it hasn't really been like that with this band. And then the live show is, uh, is, uh, is intense in, in its own right. And it, it can kind of wear one down the way we've done it with fog and strobes or what have you. So it has a certain effect and there's just certain, certain shows over the, over the last couple of tours where I've been, I've had a wave of emotion roll through me that could be cathartic in a way that like a, like a big emotional come out for a type of tone and music. If any of that's vague, I'm so sorry, but that's, that's, that's otherwise sometimes it, it turns into a, uh, a situation where the thing becomes a piece of, uh, an extension of a person, a piece of art, and then it it seems like it can be reinterpreted later mm-hmm. when you when you hear it again, even even when you play it again, it doesn't. For me, it doesn't bring up old emotions. Leo, I think maybe a little bit of both for me. Like uh, it's not like dwelling on this stuff or like rehashing it is like getting rid of it, but it's also it's like it's not making it worse either. I think it's just kind of like. If you're going to sit down and for me as a lyricist or or vocalist, like I want to try to be as honest as I can. And obviously those topics are a big part of of, of who I am and and what takes up a lot of my feeling and and thought, at least least a lot of the time, or at least it did maybe more so in the first few years of sobriety than it does now. But um, I think that the most cathartic thing for me is when people who also struggle with addiction reach out to us and they say that, hey, you know, like reading about you know, what you guys went through or, or reading the lyrics or listening to your music and the feelings it gave me kind of helped me get through a hard time and, and made me want to get sober or, or just kind of made them feel better when, when things weren't, weren't going well. That, that's more cathartic to me than like the writing or the performing of the music because then I feel like in a way that's like giving something back, you know, instead of just like navel gazing and focusing on myself all the time. Like it's like, okay, well, this art did something for somebody else and, and that's kind of, cathartic or gratifying in a way yeah i agree with that 100 percent. so what's coming up for you guys over the next few months we came back from tour and are uh in need of a new place to live so it's kind of 
putting certain band things on hiatus. But uh, we're playing a few shows. Uh, got one coming up in a week. We've got one locally in Austin coming up soon. Definitely plans for new recordings. Some we'll see uh, the light of day later this year and then next year, of course. On this episode, you heard Black in the Other Eye, Chasing the Vig, Everyone's at Home Eventually, and And I Grew Into Ribbons. Street Sex can be found at streetsex.bandcamp.com. Our opening music is Madmaker by Acumen Nation. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week as we chat with Matt and Eric from Clack. 
Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, Jamie Duffy. Here's F.J. DeSanto sharing another Jamie story. We hadn't finished the record yet. You know, we had like this four or five track demo. And what happened was we got the contract from Fifth Column. And it was like a two-page thing. I still have it somewhere. It was like, it was awful. It was like, are you fucking kidding me? But is this how it is? You know, because you're, what, 20 years old. I came up with the idea, I'm going to email other bands on this label and be like, did you sign this fucking deal? And I wrote whatever the main acumen email address was. And I knew who Jamie was. And I remembered him in my head when I wrote this email line. Hey, this is FJ from the aggression. And Jamie wrote me back like a really long email. Don't fucking sign. Why do you think our album's called Territory, you know, equals universe? Because it's a fucking awful deal. I don't wish this on, none of us wish this on you. But that started my friendship with Jamie. 